This is Zoe Church LA. We're not just fans, but rather followers of Jesus. Tune in as Pastor Chad Veach teaches of God's love and how we can live a Zoe life, an abundant life. Hey, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and reach for it. Hebrews chapter 6. I'm going to read a few scriptures, and then I've got a message this morning for you. I believe it's going to encourage you. And um, I don't know what the rest of the day is going to look like. This might be a good day to double dip because I feel like a couple different sermons on my heart, so we'll just land where we do land, but I felt like this morning this was a message for this service. And so uh, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13, I'm going to read about seven verses here, and then I'm going to preach it uh, like I feel it today. This is what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13. It says, when God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. Verse 19, here we go. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. I want to read one more verse to you. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12. It says it like this. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. And I thought uh, this morning I would preach to you a simple message simply entitled, An Anchor Called Hope. An Anchor Called Hope. And uh, today, I don't know where you come from, but I come from a loud, rowdy, somewhat obnoxious church. And uh, they say amen when you preach good. They say amen even louder when you preach bad, okay? So today, feel free to encourage me. Uh, you could say amen. You could say I like that. You could say preach it, white boy, if you're a racist. I don't, I don't mind today. But just on the count of three, let's just try to verbally engage. Ready? One, two, three. I like that. Yeah, I like that. That was awesome. We're going to pray, and we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to anoint these words. Lord, we thank you so much that you're here, and we're so grateful, God, for what you're doing right here in Los Angeles. Thank you for Zoe, Lord, a church that's bringing life to so many people. Pray now, Lord, as we look to your scripture, that, God, you would speak to us in a clear way. Lord, we want to be changed and transformed through your word. God, we honor you today, Lord. We love you in Jesus' mighty and holy name. Everybody said. Come on, everybody said. Come on, on the count of three, come on, can we just go ahead and give Jesus a big shout of praise? One, two, three. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. We're going to get there. Um, I grew up in a, um, a really strong Christian home. Uh, I'm fourth generation Pentecostal uh, preacher on, on both sides of my family. Uh, my first slow dance I said all the time was to our God is an awesome God. True story. I don't know how, how that happens, but literally, slow dancing to our God is an awesome God, which was, the chorus is cool, the verses are a little strange, but um, I, I grew up in this home, and my, my family, I, I loved it, it was a big family, and you know, at holiday time, we would have all these different types of traditions, and one of my favorite holidays in my house growing up was Thanksgiving, because at Thanksgiving in the Wilkerson home, it was larger than life, we would invite everybody, we'd have 40, 50 people in our house, and it was the best time celebrating but there was one sort of caveat to that whole experience, and that was when you came to the Thanksgiving party, 
you had to bring with you a talent. Meaning we had a huge talent show. Full program, bulletin, if you will, for the church people here. And uh, everybody had to perform at the Wilkerson Talent Show. And throughout the years, there was all sorts of different amazing acts. I remember my uncle one year was Elvis Presley. Uh, another year he was Elton John. Some of you know Elton John. Benny and the... It doesn't matter. Anyways, uh, I remember I always had to perform with my brothers. And I had an older brother uh, who was always in charge of the act. And I somehow always got a really bad part in the shummer. One year we were Alvin and the Chipmunks. And um, of course I wasn't Alvin. I was the fat one, Theodore. And... Uh, I remember another year, we were Pee Wee Herman's Playhouse. Remember Pee Wee Herman? All right, okay. And so uh, I was the genie. I, all, my, whole, my whole act was this. It was a tin box over my face with red lipstick on, and they would open it. I would go, he, and they would close it. It was the whole act. Like, that's all I did. And so, you know, every year we would do a new act, and I was always hoping for a better part. And so finally, um, this year, we were going to do uh, the annual Thanksgiving performance, and we decided we were going to go with a clown theme, a clown show. Which is cool, because like, I feel like that probably is you know, step three today at the growth track, discovering your purpose. I felt like being a clown was part of my spiritual gift, so I was, I was pumped for that. Um, and so I talked to my brother, I said, okay, what's, what's my part, bro? He goes, Rich, this year you're going to play Bozo the Clown. All right, I'm not very fond of the name, that's okay, but w- what's my part? He goes, here's your part. We're going to ask Bozo in the show for a blue balloon. Now here's the deal, Rich, Bozo doesn't speak. I said, what do you mean I don't speak? He said, Bozo only uses body language. I'm like, okay, I, I feel like my, my first gift is communication, but I can, I can, you know, do body language. All right. And so he goes, here's what's going to happen. We're going to ask for a blue balloon, but instead when we go, Bozo, can we have a blue balloon? You're going to come out. You're not going to have a blue balloon. Instead, you're going to have a shoe in your hand. And I was like, all right, well, I don't get it. He's like, yeah, everyone's going to think it's funny. I'm like, I, really? Like the shoe? He's like, yeah, because you're an idiot. I'm like, so the whole, my whole premise is I'm an idiot, okay? All right, I get this part. So it's one scene. I'm pumped about it. We had built a whole set, duct tape and sheets up into the ceiling, and I'm backstage, you know what I mean? Like backstage pacing, like waiting. Like I, I got my shoe in my hand. I'm Bozo, you know? And so I'm like, this is awesome. I'm Bozo the clown. I can't wait. And I can hear my brother and my cousin. They're out there. The whole crowd. I mean, they got the crowd in their hand. People are laughing. People are crying. Somebody got saved. It's crazy, okay? And I'm like, I can't wait, man. This is going to be so good. They're going to say, Bozo, I'm going to come out with this shoe. Everyone's going to laugh. It's going to be the best Thanksgiving ever. I can't wait. And so they're going. They're doing the whole act. I'm pacing back and forth. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting until I finally hear. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for coming to the annual clown show. That is the end. And when I heard that, Bozo went Bozo, okay? I, I tore the set down. I said, no, it's not. There's still one more scene. I never heard my grandmother. She stands up. She's like, he's got a demon. I said, shut up, Nana. I'm going bozo. The whole Thanksgiving was destroyed. People were like, literally left that day like, oh, my gosh, he's a wounded child. It was awful. I was, I was thinking in context of that story about this scripture, that hope deferred, it, it makes the heart grow Sick, And I always heard that scripture as a kid. I always thought to myself, what does that word deferred even mean? Until I finally looked it up. And the word deferred means postponed or delayed. I thought to myself, so many people that I encounter, that's where they feel like life is. They feel postponed. They feel delayed. They feel like they're, they're waiting for something. 
In fact, some of you, I, I know it's somewhat of a long stretch, but some of you, if you could be honest for a moment, you would say you feel like your life is backstage pacing right now, and you're waiting for your scene to be called, yet for some reason nobody ever calls your scene. Have you ever noticed that it's during the waiting <laughs> that you tend to go a little bozo? <laughs> Have you ever noticed that while you feel delayed, oftentimes that's the moment that you feel like tearing things down? See, some of you are in this place today, if you'd be really honest, you'd say, I feel so postponed, I feel so deferred, I feel so delayed, and because I've been delayed, I've been tearing stuff down. Some of you, you've been tearing your values down. Some of you, you moved to the city of dreams, yet somehow it took longer than you expected, so you just tore your whole dream down. Some of you have torn relationships down. Some of you, you've torn your faith down. And it's because you're in this place where you say, I feel deferred, Rich. I'm waiting for my scene to be called. But for some reason, it never gets called. And here is the lie of the enemy today. Here is what the enemy wants you to believe. The enemy wants you to believe that just because you're delayed today, it means you're denied tomorrow. But I want to remind some people at Zoe Church, which means life, that your current situation is not in charge of your future destination. Because of Jesus Christ, there is always hope for tomorrow. Come on. Is there anybody out there who believes there's hope for tomorrow? Can you go ahead and give God a big shout of praise all over this house? There's hope for tomorrow. So you're like, Rich, what does that even mean, there's hope for tomorrow? Like, what? And what I've learned is this. I've learned in church that we use this word hope sometimes, but none of us really know what hope actually means. And the Bible says that these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. And in church, we talk a lot about faith, we talk a lot about love, but hope kind of just gets forgotten. What is hope? I think in order to know what hope is, you have to know what hope is not. See, a lot of people, they, they kind of think hope is just like wishful thinking. You ever like been at the red light and you're late to work, you're like, oh my God, I hope this light turns green. That, that's not real hope, okay? That's just, that's wishful thinking. Hope is not optimism. I'm, I'm all for optimism. The, the opposite of optimism would be pessimism. I don't like those people very much. You ever met like a pessimistic person? How you doing? Not good. All right, I'm out of here. You know, like, <laughs> I'd much rather deal with an optimistic person. But that's not actually what hope is. See, hope is not psychological. Hope is theological. Hope is not wishful thinking. Optimism isn't always in touch with reality. Hope is in touch with reality. Hope is saying, I'm here right now. I feel like I'm backstage. I feel like I'm in a valley, but I believe in something bigger than myself. I'm attached to something greater than me. I'm trusting my God that he can turn things around. The Bible says this. The Bible says that faith is being sure of what we hope for. So listen to me for a moment. The Word of God is going to teach us that it's impossible to please God without faith. Yet, faith is being sure of what I hope for. What it tells me is that hope is the building blocks to my faith. If I don't have hope, I can't have faith. So hope is an assurance. Faith is an action. Hope, and here's my definition today if you want to write this down. Hope is a constant expectation that God is working even when I can't sense him. I believe God is working even when I can't trace him, even when I can't sense him. I believe my God is up to something. In our church, we have this motto, and we say it all the time, the best is yet to come. But we don't just say the best is yet to come. 
because we're relying in our own strength. We say the best is yet to come because we're a people of hope. We believe we have a constant expectation that God's working even when I can't sense him. So faith, it's an action. It's impossible to please God without it. But if you want faith, you're going to have to have hope. I love our text today. It's Hebrews chapter 6. We don't know the writer of Hebrews. Uh, I, I tend to believe it's the Apostle Paul. Uh, so much of the writing style sounds just like him. But Paul is trying to encourage a people who are discouraged. If you will, Paul is trying to encourage some people who find themselves backstage pacing, feeling a bit postponed, feeling a little bit deferred. And he wants to encourage them. And the way that he's going to encourage them is he's going to tell them, that you have an anchor for your soul, it's called hope. And before he gets there, he's going to give this illustration, if you will. Uh, the illustration that he chooses to draw on is a story of a guy by the name of Abraham. Now, I like the illustration, and some of you, you grew up in church, and so maybe you know his story. Others of you, you're like, this is my first time to church, I don't know about Abraham. But let me just give you a little bit of the premise of what the writer is talking about. Uh, Abraham, at 75 years of age, I mean, when you probably should be thinking retirement, this guy gets a word from God, a huge promise from God. Here's the promise. The promise is this, is Abraham, I'm going to bless those that bless you. I'm going to curse those that curse you. And I'm going to make you a father of a nation. Pretty awesome, big promise. However, there's a problem to this promise. Abraham is 75, and he doesn't have any kids yet at all, let alone a nation. I mean, you need a son to have a nation, right? But God says, hey, I've got a big promise in store for you. But notice, the big promise is attached to a big problem. That's what a lot of people don't understand about God, is that if you want big promises from God, you better be willing to walk through big problems with God. Some of you today, you should change your perspective around because for every problem that you have, I got a feeling there's a promise on the other side. I'm trying to change my faith around that every problem I walk into, I realize, wait a minute, there must be something greater on the other side because the bigger the vision, the bigger the opposition. Does anybody out there want some big promises from God? Somebody give God a big shout of praise of this place. If you want big promises, you got to walk through big problems. So here's the problem. Dude is 75... No kids. That's not just crazy, that's nasty. That's that, God, really? Really? You want to start having kids now? Oh yeah, I got, a, I got a nation coming out of you. Really? Do you know how old my wife is? <laughs> this is what the Bible says. It's Genesis 12 where, where Abraham gets this promise. It's not until... Genesis 21, that Sarah gives birth to a boy named Isaac. Now, here's the problem with church people, is that when we read the Bible, it takes us like, you know, three minutes to get from Genesis 12 to Genesis 21. And it's like, oh, yeah, that was a cute story. He had the boy. I love it. <laughs> but these six chapters, these eight chapters, I know it takes you minutes to read, but it took decades for Abraham to live out. The Bible says that he gets the promise, and then Abraham, he patiently waits. How many know we hate waiting, right? Like, this is why you still get angry at your microwave. <laughs> like, you know how long popcorn takes. It takes two minutes. But for some reason, you want it in a minute and a half for some reason, right? We, we, we hate waiting. Yet Abraham, the Bible says, he waited on God. I think so often 
in our generation today, people get a word from God like last Sunday, and if it hasn't come to pass till next Sunday, we're like, oh my God, I'm so postponed, I'm deferred, I'm delayed. God, where are you? Eloah, Eloah, Lama Sabak. It's like, shut up. Like, the bigger the promise, the longer the wait. The weight doesn't disqualify the promise. The weight validates the promise. If you're waiting for something today, I would say keep on waiting. Because Abraham waited decades. It wasn't until he was 99 years of age that finally Isaac is born on the scene. Isaac, the son of laughter, the son of grace. In fact, the Bible will tell us that the year before Isaac is born, God shows up to Sarah and says, yo, this time next year, you're going to be holding a baby boy. She hears the promise and she starts to laugh. How many of you know that some of the promises that God has for your life, if people were to overhear them, they would start to laugh because they're laughable. But what I would say is let them laugh. We serve a God who always gets the last laugh. Come on. Is there anybody in the 10 a.m. who wants a little bit of hope today? Give God a big shout of praise. She gives birth to a boy and the promise begins. And I love it because this writer in Hebrews, he's giving you and I a personal illustration. He's telling us the story of Abraham, and he's trying to build up your hope. He's trying to get you to walk around with this constant expectation that just because you can't see it right now, and just because your scene hasn't been called right now, don't give up, don't quit, don't tear the set down, don't tear the world apart, don't tear your life up, don't tear the marriage apart, stick in it. Keep fighting through it. There's a promise on the other side of the problem. My favorite thing that he says is this. He says, when God swore this to Abraham, he said men and women, when they make an oath, they swear by someone greater than themselves. You've done this before, right? You want someone to believe what you're going to say. You're like, oh, my goodness, I swear to you. I swear my mama's grave. I swear my grandma's grave. I swear my baby. We swear on something bigger, right? But I love God. When God made an oath, there was no one greater than himself. So he swore by his own name. And last time I checked, my God is not a man that he should lie, nor is he the son of man that he should break his promise. When God makes a promise to you, you can take it to the bank and cash it because it's going to come to pass if you'll patiently wait on God. I wish I could get somebody in the 10 a.m. to make a little bit of noise today because I believe somebody's hope is rising up. We have an anchor for our soul. The writer's going to say, those of you that are postponed and those of you that feel deferred and those of you that feel delayed because the dream hasn't occurred quick enough, because the promotion hasn't come, because the baby hasn't been born, because the marriage hasn't begun, listen, 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 listen. Look back to the story of Abraham. Because he got a promise and it wasn't until 25 years later that the promise occurred, but he patiently waited on God. And he says this in verse 19 and it's just something I've been thinking about since December of the, uh, this past year. He says, for we have this hope as an anchor for our soul. What hope? We have a hope that even when we can't sense God is working, that he is working. Even when I can't trace him, I can trust him. Even when it doesn't look right, I believe he's up to something and I'm a person of faith, but if I'm going to have faith, I've got to have an assurance, and my assurance is called hope. But I love the metaphor that he uses, and today I want to try to just give you a couple quick handles. Wow, my clock went quick. There we go. It's all right. Um, don't you love it? Praise God, preachers. All right, so l let me just give you 
two quick handles really quick. Why, why do you need an anchor for your soul? Why do you need an anchor? I, I like the metaphor of an anchor. What's the purpose of an anchor? Number one, um, an anchor keeps the boat from drifting. You need an anchor for your soul so, so you don't drift. I remember when I first moved to Miami in 1998, I moved from Tacoma, Washington area outside of Seattle, and uh, you know, Miami and Seattle, two totally different places. And so the, the, the one kind of common thread is that they're both on the ocean. They're both uh, on the water. And so when I first moved to Miami, uh, my dad knew that I loved the water so much. So he got me a canoe. We lived on this little canal. He got me a canoe. We couldn't afford like a real boat, but he got me a canoe, praise God. And um, I used to take this canoe out on these canals. And I was like Pocahontas. It was beautiful. You know, I'm out there and I'm full on canoeing, you know. And my dad was always very, very clear. Rich, you got to make sure that you tie up the boat when you get done. And I remember one day I came back, and you know how 13, 14-year-old, you know, junior high, high school boys can be. I, just, I, I remember my dad saying it, but I just didn't really take it very seriously. And so I kind of just loosely tied it to the dock, went to school, came back from school that day. It was a beautiful, gorgeous day in Miami. Sun was out. Water was pristine. But when I'd come home, I discovered that the boat had drifted away. And I learned a principle really quickly. It's this, is that a boat without an anchor can drift even in calm waters. I really believe that one of the greatest challenges for this church is not the big epic storm coming to destroy us or distract us, but rather it's complacency and it's being content in the calm. So many of us, instead of waiting for God's best, we settle for God's good. <laughs> and, and many of us today because we don't feel something and because we're addicted to highlights and because we're a highlight generation, it's in that middle and it's in that mundane moment, it's in the calm waters that we just kind of drift away from what God has called us to and we become complacent and we become content with apathy. We become content with average. See, somebody who's living with hope is never complacent. Why? Because expectation leads to preparation. You want to know if you're a person living with hope? You'll know it based upon the life that you are living if you're living prepared. Yeah. You know what I mean by prepared, right? When a farmer plants a seed, he doesn't mourn over the seed. You've never seen this, right? They never, they never hold a funeral service like, oh, my God, I missed the seed. There it goes out of my hand. Oh, God, oh, we love him. Give a eulogy. They're not crying. They're excited. Because there's an expectation that once the seed goes into the ground, there's going to be a harvest. But notice, they don't just wait for the harvest, they prepare for the harvest. I wish somebody would clap this morning. Come on now. Are you actually prepared for God's blessing in your life? If God answered your prayer request today, would it change the world or would it just change you? Are you praying big prayers? Are you excited for what God's getting ready to do? Are you preparing right now? If God blessed you, would you be ready for it? Some of you are like, I want to get married. Are you even ready to get married? I need a wife. Really? I think you need a job first. Because real expectation leads to preparation. If you're believing for something, you're putting an anchor down, even in the calm waters, you're not becoming complacent. No, you're living a life that's prepared. You're living a life getting ready. I'm just ready just in case God wants to do something. I'm preparing for the revival. We're putting the chairs out because we see this place one day full of people, and when God fills it, we want to be ready. I got hope. So 
not just something on the wall. It's not just something I put on my Instagram. No, you'll know I'm a person of hope because my expectation leads to preparation. I was thinking this past year, I just hit 10 years of full-time ministry. And it's been a really cool year of just thinking back about all that God has done. But I can remember going all the way back to Bible college. I remember getting on Bible. I was at a Christian Bible college, yet I still had this desire for revival to break out. And I didn't know how to do that, but I was like, you know what, we're going to start praying. And so I called a prayer meeting on Thursday nights. And people would show up, you know, eight or ten people, but I would get up. It was supposed to be a prayer meeting, but I'd always take ten minutes and preach a little message, you know. <laughs> I'd be screaming. I'd be shouting. I'd be getting into it. I remember, I, this is a true story. I remember one time, I was in Bible college, freshman year. And one time I drove five hours across the state of Georgia. And I got there and there was five people in the meeting. I still used a microphone. <laughs> Why? Because I didn't see five people. I saw 500 people. I saw 5,000 people. I saw a revival getting ready to break out in Miami. We were 10 years, 15 years away. But I want to start preparing for it because I see it coming. Come on. Is there anybody at Zoe that wants to get prepared? you got to put an anchor down. Recently at Voo Church, it's been an amazing time. We're in five services right now, and people getting saved left and right. Just crazy what God is doing. It's honestly a, a move of God, and we finally came into this position where we're able to rent office space. And so we were looking around for office space, and we finally found this building. We just secured 8,000 square feet of office space. However, we don't, we don't call it an office. How many you know an office? That's the most boring name ever, the office. Offices don't change the world, you know. Offices don't lead to a revival. We call it the headquarters. We call it the flagship store. We call it the, 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 the enterprise of beginning of revival. It's the headquarters. I remember we were getting ready to start designing the place, and um, all of a sudden I got a text from this girl on our team. Her name is Jerry. She's a legend. And she said, Pastor Rich, I'm so excited because two years ago when we first met in your apartment and we started talking about Voo Church, I got a Pinterest board going, and I started designing our office space because I knew one day we were going to have an office space. I thought, Jerry, you are preaching to me right now. Because there's some people in this room today that you ought to get a Pinterest board for your marriage. You ought to get a Pinterest board for your dreams. You ought to start preparing for the blessing because the blessing is on the way. Is anybody out there want to get some hope that leads to preparation? You, you need an anchor for your soul because even in calm waters, a boat can drift. Some of us today, we're drifting. We've just gotten complacent. We've stopped believing for big things. Some of you, you joined this launch team, and maybe it hasn't happened exactly how you wanted it to happen, or the revival hasn't come soon enough. Why don't you go back to Abraham and look at a man who waited 25 years, not to even see the nation, but to see one son. I'm going to cling to the promise. I'm going to live my life with a constant expectation. Whether I can see it all working, I'm going to have a constant expectation. My God is working. And you will see that in my life because my life is one of preparation. The worship team's coming up. I'm already out of time. I apologize, Julia. I promise you I'll shorten it down for the other services. Number two, why you need an anchor for your soul. Number one is because even in calm waters, a boat can drift. But number two is this, is that an anchor provides stability in the storm. An anchor provides stability in the storm. In the storm. It's not a question of if you will go through storms. It's a question of when you will go through storms. And you better be ready 
to go through those. And the way that you get ready is by dropping anchor into the deep waters and saying, I'm not going to be shaken. I'm not going to be moved. I might bend, but I don't have to break. Some of us right now are going, really, this is the message? Yeah, the message is this. is God doesn't say you need more popularity. Zoe Church doesn't need more money. Zoe Church doesn't need more influence. Zoe Church doesn't actually even need a building. What Zoe Church needs to be stable in the storm is an anchor, and the anchor is called hope. If you're going to get to where God has you to go, you're going to get there with hope. Life storms happen, and I'm sure if we put the mic across the room today, we could go through, and people right now would say, I'm currently in a storm. They come in all different shapes and sizes, typically harder than we imagined, typically cost us more than we had planned for. But there's an answer. There's a way to get through. I don't know what the storm is for you. I could just literally begin listing them, and some of you right away would resonate with your heart. Some of you, it's failure. You know, this city is, it's full of people who came out with a dream that somehow today feel like a failure. You know, psychology, they'll, they'll use an example, and the example is a boy who's got a crush on the most popular girl in class, and finally he musters up enough courage, finally he musters up enough strength, and he walks over and he asks her out, and she denies him. And what the boy does is he puts up a a self-coping mechanism, and that is, he says, all right, that girl's out of my league. Let me go try to find somebody who is in my league. And the worst part of failure is not the failure itself. It's on the backside of it, which is it's the lowering of our standards. Some of you in this room, that it's like you just lowered your standard because you went through a storm called failure. But failure is an event. It's never a person. Some of you, it's, it's the storm of fear. I want to, and I want to step out, but I'm just, every time I get, I'm just so riddled with fear. And fear can only be dealt with one of three ways. Some people get to fear and they run away. Some people get to fear and they, they carry their fear. You ever met that guy at church? How you doing? Not very good, man. Pretty bad week. He's just carrying his fear. Or you can be a person who walks with a sense of hope, who put an anchor deep down in the water, and when you get up to fear, you say, all right, I'm afraid of this thing. I'm scared of this thing. But I'm going to walk through this thing. Maybe you went through a physical storm in your body. Maybe you're sick today. Maybe you lost somebody today and you've got questions. You've got hurt. You've got pain. My youngest brother, his name is Graham. And when he was six months of age, he was misdiagnosed with spinal meningitis. At six months of age... It took his life, and somehow by the grace of God, 10 minutes on the operating table, he was resuscitated. We're so thankful to God for it. But the doctors were very clear that he would never walk, talk, see, hear. By the grace of God, God's miracle working power, how many know that some miracles, they're a process, and some miracles, they're stages, some miracles, you just, you get better over time. Graham does walk, he does talk, he does see, he does hear. God is faithful. Come on, we can give God a shout of praise for that. But 
Graham went through immense challenges and still to this day does. Because of the loss of oxygen, he suffered severe brain damage. And I can go back to being a kid. I can remember, seeing, I can remember visually seeing my brother Graham in different moments, in different scenes, get so upset, get so irate, throw these tantrums. And they would just be out of his mind. I remember in the mall one time, him stripping his clothes down, running through the mall. I can remember other moms looking at my mom saying, what kind of a mother is this? Why can't she get control of her child? And I remember having these big questions towards God going, God, why would you let this happen to them? My parents are faithful. My parents are Christians. My parents are proponents of the gospel. Why does this happen to our family? One of the greatest revelations that I ever, ever caught somewhere in my teenage years was simply this, is that you don't have to understand the plan to trust that God has a purpose. I got hope. Just because I don't understand it right now doesn't mean that God isn't doing something. Just because it doesn't look good doesn't mean that God's not good. Maybe you did something, and maybe the regret of your past is keeping you from living in hope today. Maybe you're in the life storm of guilt, the life storm of shame. Come on, that's the gospel. That's the good news. My wife, Don Shree, and I, not only did I celebrate 10 years of marriage, I just celebrated, uh, not only did 10 years of ministry, but 10 years of marriage. My wife and I, we just, we just celebrated. And I met my wife when we were 17 in a church service. And she's a legend. I can't wait for you to get to meet her and know her more. She's hosting our services today back in Miami. Greatest woman. But I remember the day we met, 17 years of age, saw her. I was like, that's the girl for me. And kind of hung out that day. And somehow, I, that day I was nervous. I, I didn't ask her for a number. You know, I was just like, I, I, I froze. But I'm, I'm a proactive guy. And um, I found another route. <laughs> and, and I got her number, you know. Some of you guys with Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, you still can't get a girl's number. you got to be proactive, okay. I went and hunted that thing down. And so I remember I called her. I left a message. I'm like, hey, Don Cherie, this is Richie. And um, we, met, we met today. And it, was, it was a grand day. And um, just would lo- love to talk to you sometime. I'm going to marry you. No, I didn't say that. That would be, be creepy. And I hung up the phone. I left the room. I left my cell phone in the room. And my older brother, unbeknownst to me, he and Don Cherie knew each other before I had met her. And so they had slightly a friendship. And so he got my phone. He thought it would be funny. He then proceeded to call Don Shree's cell phone 38 times. If you meet a guy this afternoon at brunch and you give him your number and he calls you 38 times, I would say run. I saw, I go, what are you, bro? You've been screwing up my life since Bozo the Clown, bro. And I remember that just that feeling of going, I blew it, it's over. And I grabbed the phone and then I went into that waiting moment, right? God, oh God, will she ever call me back? Oh God, it's over. This was the one. I blew it. I screwed it up. She's gonna think I'm crazy. She's gonna think I'm nuts. It's over. Some of you today, that's exactly how you feel with God. I blew it. I screwed it up. He gave me a second chance. He gave me an eighth chance. He gave me a 38th chance. I couldn't get it right. There's no hope for me. There's no future for me. Here's the good news. The good news is, praise God, she called me back. (laughs) Praise God, we got married. Hello. But the good news of the gospel, the good news of the Zoe life is that God always calls you back. God has a plan. God wants to use you. There's hope. 
I finally discovered something this December, and that is that I've been reading Proverbs chapter 13 wrong for 32 years. So we talking about rich? Well, I always read Proverbs chapter 13. I always, it said hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. So guess what I did? I removed the word hope and I put in new words. I said my dream deferred makes my heart grow sick. I said my plans deferred makes my heart grow sick. I said my prosperity deferred makes my heart grow sick. My healing deferred makes my heart grow sick. You put in whatever word it is that you're after. And we start to think, man, if this thing doesn't happen, I'm postponed, I'm delayed, and my heart is sick. But that's not what the scripture says. The scripture doesn't talk about your prosperity. It doesn't talk about your breakthrough. It doesn't talk about your grand plan. It says one word, hope postponed. Hope deferred. Meaning, when I postpone the constant expectation that my God is working, when I delay that, when I defer that, that's what leads to a heart that is sick. Friend, I can't control what happens to me. I'm not in charge of my situation, but I am in charge of my spirit. And I, for one, have decided that I'm going to walk in hope. I'm going to drop an anchor deep down in the waters. And I've decided I'm not drifting in calm days. And I've decided that even when the storms come, they can try to hit as hard as they want. And I might bend, but praise God for Jesus, I don't have to break. I've got an anchor, and it's called hope today. Come on, if you believe it, somebody give God a big shout of praise. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We hope you were inspired and encouraged by the message. To get more information about Zoe Church, check out our website, www.zoechurch.org, or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and the newly added Snapchat under the handle Zoe Church LA. Have a blessed day.